0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters, a new season for Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WUV Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. One of the things that I follow in some of the articles that I read are new trends in educational technology and how they're affecting classroom behaviors. And and one of the trends that comes up over and over again is how data science is increasingly being used to try to promote student success. Now, because of where I teach and where I work, most of the articles that I read has to do with using data science in higher education. But we're blessed today to have two guests on to talk about how data science is being used in a K-12 setting to also promote student success. Ms. Latoya Blackshear is a career educator and advocate of quality education and currently serving as Director of Planning and Evaluation for Jackson Public Schools in Mississippi, and her colleague, Joy Smithson, Dr. Joy Smithson, is a data scientist and Director of the Data Science Research Group with School Status, where she specializes in helping school administrators glean actionable insight from localized data. And what we'll be talking about is how the two of them have worked to use data science principles um, in a K-12 setting. So LaToya and Joy, thank you so much for being on Teaching Matters today.
1: Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you.
0: So I wanna start just by um, setting the scene. And LaToya, I'm wondering if you can talk about the district where you work, um, you know, specifically, what type of a school environment um, exists in Jackson? What type of students do you serve? And before we get into the details of the data science part, what are some of the things that you're trying to solve for in your district where um, you were looking for answers perhaps?
1: So in our districts, uh, in our district, we currently serve, we are a, a pre-K to 12th grade uh, school system with, in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, We serve roughly over um, almost 20,000, a little under 20,000 students. Um, We kind of partnered with um, School Status Joy, looking for ways to just ensure teacher quality and and promote professional learning. So we were looking for a tool that was, you know, truly aligned to our state professional growth goals, um, and it'll allow us... Uh, multiple ways, are uh, ways to monitor data points. So we kind of, that's kind of how we're set up. And like I said, in Jackson Public Schools, we service pre-K to, to 12th grade, um, predominantly African-American, um, over 3,000 so teachers. So that's roughly a, our district in a nutshell.
0: So you mentioned that you were trying to, um, get information so that you can, you know, improve teacher quality. Do you feel like, you know, thinking back five years or so before your relationship with Joy um, came about, do you feel like you were, you know, what did you do then before you had the insights that you're gleaning now? I mean, how did you make decisions? How did you try to promote student success and teacher quality previous to this?
1: So previously, before all the technology, we use a lot of uh, paper, you know, or and or Excel sheets, <laughs> yeah. um, where we were tracking students, um, whether it be attendance, their their um, data assessments. So we used a lot of paper, um, where we were making phone calls. You know, and thinking about to my earlier days as a former administrator, I would have teachers submit their call logs. You know, submit your monthly call logs, where they just actually sat down with the monthly calendar, wrote in the calendar, I called Latoya's mom, Lisa's mom, Joy's mom. Um, Now, since moving into the age of technology, um, school status allows us, they, they no longer have to submit a paper copy or we no longer have to create an Excel sheet with all of our students' data and have it located in multiple areas. You know, school status allows us to have everything within the platform, within the system by one click of a button. So we kind of moved from the Stone Age until the 21st century. And our teachers are, are doing an outstanding, our teachers and our leaders are doing an outstanding job of using uh, the platform, the tool to increase student outcomes.
0: Very good. Uh, Joey, let me turn to you now, and I'm going to have you talk in a few minutes about school status and the platform that you have. But before I do that, can you talk about your professional background? And specifically, when we use the word data scientist, I think everybody maybe has their own definition of what they think that means. What does it mean to you since you're actually one of them?
2: Thank you for asking. Um, So data scientist is really a, a fancy, more modern term for statistician. Um, It was kind of, I think it was kind of pushed by our congressional leaders to kind of equalize the playing field, give it a little bit more modern term, make it a little bit more sexy and appealing um, just in terms of a career path. So I hope that answers for a lot of people and takes away a little bit of the mystique. Um, It's someone who works with data a lot in all its forms, manipulating data, wrangling data, drawing insights from data. Um, so statistics, basically, in a nutshell. Um, my background is largely in the social sciences. So I got my undergraduate degree in psychology and then uh, a master's in what they call research psychology to prepare me to, I knew that I wanted to get my PhD. Don't ask me why. I just I knew that, I, that that's the path I wanted to take um, and ended up going through um, a communication studies program. So um, very fitting to now my work with data and communication. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that blends really nicely with my social science background and analytics background. Um, Kind of uncanny actually, how I landed at school status. So I hope that gives a little bit of insight in my background. I worked uh, largely with nonprofit organizations before I'm kind of finding my route to school status.
0: So joy, when, you know, when I think about uh, an educational unit, whether it be a department or a college, like I'm in now, or if I'm thinking about a school district in a community um, like Jackson, there's all kinds of data that exists. And much of that data remains inert um, where people aren't able to use it for any type of productive purpose. can, this is a hard question to ask, but like when you go into a district and you're trying to start working with a district to help them, you know, make sense of the data sets that they have available, what are some of the types of data that ends up becoming important that no one would have ever thought about before because they just couldn't, you know, bring it into a way of looking at it in a meaningful way? Do you have any great examples of that?
2: Um, one that comes to mind is like the absence of data is sometimes, um, I don't know, that's something that's on my mind recently, just because it feels like that's what we've been asked to do, um, as an example, who doesn't have a communication event this year? Um, so a district might want to know who among their student population is being overlooked and not receiving contact, um, sometimes the absence of information is tricky to find because it's not there. Right. (laughs) So um, usually you exist, for example, in a discipline table because you had a disciplinary event. Um, So just kind of making sure often it's, I think um, the data sometimes is what's tricky, but sometimes making sure that you're returning what was originally asked. Like, are you actually answering the question back to the customer that they wanted in the first place, and not getting like bogged down with all the different options? Um, so that's one of the things I find most challenging. But yeah, to answer your question directly, the absence of data um, is one of the things that I think it's kind of overlooked and has to. It's kind of tricky to find.
0: Yeah, that's really that's a really insightful point, and I, I, you know, and. I mean, I do stati- st- statistical work as well, and I, could, I totally get what you're saying, and you're right. That would be really hard um, to find what's not there. Can you, can you talk now a little bit about school status as an organization and the types of services that you provide for districts?
2: Absolutely. So we are basically a K-12 software. We're designed to combine we're, – we're in the cloud – So um, you don't have to download an app, Um, but we are designed to combine data from disparate sources. Uh, We use the student information system. We shorthand call that the SIS, but the student information system is our source of truth. So um, Latoya can tell you that that's that's where the data for the district on um, students' attendance, their grades, their course schedules, discipline, most of that data, Uh, The contacts for their parents, their guardians, for students, that would all be in the student information system. And that's all paired by a student's name and they get a unique ID and we use that as our source of truth. Um, And so all data gets married back to that state ID. Um, So then we partner with that district to securely get credentials or file exchange to get benchmark data so um, their fall, winter, and spring assessments that they take on different subjects. And then we also um, use that to get state assessment data. We put all of this in one platform so that a teacher, a principal, someone like Latoya at the district level, they can log into one interface instead of having to go, um, like she was telling you earlier, you go in the paper route where it's like, You log into one platform for the teacher evaluation, another platform to see how that teacher did on their state, on the benchmarks, yet another platform to see for the state assessment. We eliminate all of that with school status. Um, From there, we layer on a communication component where you can just click on a student card, call that parent's, call that student's guardian. Um, You can call, you can text, you can email. You can video. <laughs> it's pretty comprehensive in terms of what you can do in terms of analytics with those disparate data sources that we bring together, but then also the communication piece on top of that. And then, of course, marrying those communication, the volume, the reciprocation, looking at that then with the teacher outcomes on their evaluation tools and on their state assessment. So it's really It's really designed to be a one-stop shop.
0: So Latoya and Jackson, how long have you, um, has your district been engaged with um, school status?
1: So I I was, let me say, I'm thinking, it's funny you should ask that because I was like, how long have we? (laughs) So I can definitely tell you we've had it now for about eight years or so,
2: Um
1: don't quote me on that but we've had it a while and each year school status and our partnership has kind of in- evolved you know mm-hmm. new every year we develop new things by working with them have different conversations and we sit um kind of at the beginning of the year exchanging several emails on how we can just improve things and how we can make it better because you know our end goal is making sure that we're increasing you know, student outcome as well as uh, parental enga- engagement.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, right now, I, I assume that because you've had, you know, a relatively long relationship with school status, I assume that the the maybe the goals that you have in a given year has shifted over time. But, you know, we're starting a new academic year, and so are there, are there particular things that you're trying to do with your school status um, access this year um, that maybe has evolved over time or changed from previous years?
1: It, it is. Um, we are very – a, a district of focusing on a culture of feedback – and observations. So this year, we are very focused on making sure that we're providing our teachers, our principals, real-time feedback. And that was a focus of last year, but we've kind of amped it up again this year. And with that being said, um, we went to school status next last year and told them, okay, we're looking for ways that we can not only evaluate our uh, teachers within the system, we want to know how can we evaluate our principles in the system. We also have partnered with the Office of Teaching and Learning um, and our academic coaches here. They go out and provide support to our teachers and they can also now, we're working towards, our big goal this year was working towards allowing them access to be able to um, provide feedback and uh, and observations to teachers. Now, they won't rate the teachers, of course, but just a way because, I, again, our ultimate focus is that we're investing in our teachers and we want to make sure that they are providing the quality instruction. We want our uh, teachers to know what students should know and be able to do. So we've really taken or, ha- or have taken taken our um evaluations, observations to a new level. We're wanting to see how often are we getting in the classrooms and supporting those teachers? You know, are we supporting which standards that they need additional support? Or who, which teacher needs the additional support? So we're looking at the data in all sets of ways and have, we have a lot of hands on deck to ensure our continued success you know, I, you asked me at the beginning of the conversation, tell you about Jackson Public School. You know, we're the second largest uh, urban school district and we're making some movements by using data to drive instruction. So we're excited about this year and the things that we're doing differently with school status. I
0: So I know that you'll have to be careful because it, it, it might venture into personnel issues. But can you think of a hypothetical situation where you might see something in data that, um, I don't want to say raises an alarm bell, but just provides an opportunity for improvement? And then, you, you know, in that hypothetical example, the way in which you might approach a a building, a a principal, a teacher um, try to do an intervention to improve in that area? I mean, I'm trying to think about how you're using data to close the loop and improve and what an example of that might end up looking like, you know, in a real world situation.
1: So I think we all know that the more we, the importance of school home communication. So the more we um, communicate to our parents and teachers, the, the better student outcomes are. So when we're looking at our data, we're looking at To make sure, I think Joy stated earlier to make sure we're not overlooking not one of our uh, our scholars. So when we see a school and or teachers that have not made uh, contact, we so hypothetically when we see they are not making the contacts needed or enough, let me say that enough contact, we send emails or get on the phone and communicate with those principals, those teachers uh, in regards to the data. We also have where school status um, helps us to monitor our benchmark assessments. And when we see the data is not moving, um, we also then reach out to our principals. So we run monthly reports, and that lets us know how we need to, what shifts we need to make. And again, who needs those additional supports?
0: Joy, um, so based upon that example that LaToya just provided, I mean, she obviously has a really firm philosophical and, and practical understanding of how to use data in in continuous improvement. We you and I both know that 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 people don't start there. They they start with you know, some understanding of the data that they have, but but it, it takes a while to really be able to get to a place where you can you know effectively uh, query the data, find insightful information, and then have a strategy for closing the loop for improving. When you and um, uh, school status partners with the district, what type of training do you have to do with administrators, with principals, with faculty? To make the data become insightful for them, because because I I, I I just say in my own context, I mean every university has a research office, and we get we get given access to data all the time, and it takes a long time to really know how to make best use of that information. You know, for for me, and so I I assume that has to be the case for any other type of K twelve setting as well.
2: Yes, absolutely, Scott, and I think you're touching on something that. Um Latoya knows well, like she, she's worn many, many hats in, in the district. Um, you know, smaller districts, you're more likely to have someone who's, who is wearing many hats and trying to juggle kind of several different jobs, one of which is the data piece. In larger districts, um, you know, you will have someone who's kind of the data person, or they might even have a data team or several data teams. Um, depending on the size of that district, who um, really have expertise in that area. So um, my department works really hard to try and kind of stay in our lane. If you're a district that is, you know, already has a data team and you just need our support getting you started, we'll take that queue and um, serve up, you know, a lot of times we'll get a specific request and it just outlines Um, whether that's an email or a phone call, you know, we want these data points. And we, you know, if if the specificity ranges, um, sometimes you'll have someone who kind of has an idea. They know that they have a lot of data to look at, but they'll, um, we worked with one district. um, This administrator wanted all the data. Like, I mean that in all the way that it sounds, all the data in one dashboard (laughs) <laughs> and we tried to accommodate and it we kind of had to just do it to show that this really isn't going to accomplish the goal that you that you think it will i know that it sounds glorious but it gets bogged down because you're using you know, filters from different data tables that aren't really referencing the same thing. Uh-huh. And so you you kind of have to work with some people. Um, as you can tell, Latoya really gets it. She's a data person. Um, but then some folks, it's you kind of have to work with them to just tease out what what is the question that you're trying to answer and kind of work, work iterative, iteratively from there. So it's, you know, a back and forth process um, and then just really, um, I guess in that way, it comes back to communication, even, even between my relationship with that customer is uh, making sure that I'm understanding their goal to deliver on that. Um, Cause usually the data is there. It's just a matter of wrangling it to answer the specific question they need to address. Um, did that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. Yes.
0: Um, so, you know, Latoya has talked about how they're using it in Jackson and they have a long, you know, they have a, I, I, what sounds to me like a long history of doing this. Um, You in your role, Joy, you get to see not only Jackson's district's data, but, but I'm sure you work with many other clients as well. Do you have a perspective on some variables that over and over again, you see as being impactful for you know, what it is that we're all trying to achieve, which is student learning outcomes that maybe districts are not yet paying enough attention to.
2: Um, This sounds ridiculous, but chronic absenteeism is just, you know, we can't stress enough how important it is for students to be in the classroom. Um, One of the things that's unique about chronic absenteeism from something like average daily attendance is that chronic absenteeism it doesn't matter whether the absence is excused or unexcused. The point is you're not learning the content that you need to be learning. Even if you're on a field trip or you're on a, um, an athletic event uh, or if it's approved, it, the point is you're not there learning critical content. Um, so an absence is an absence is an absence. And once it hits about 10%, which if, if you look at a school year, Roughly it's 180 days, but then you figure holidays and uh, snow days, all the things that get interrupted, it's about 150 days out of the school year. Um, So you can 15 days right away is, you know, you've, you're chronically absent. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen how um, absences are just tied to so many Things. They can signal. They can. They can signal something like a crisis or um, a significant event in a student's life. Um, they can. You know, they're kind of a warning sign for other issues to come. So, um, and I think absences get talked about a lot, but it's kind of just like, oh yeah, we already know about that. And it's like, no, really, <laughs> it's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah so I would say that chronic absenteeism is one of one of the biggest things that I would point to. um and yes, absolutely communication, but not just volume of communication, but uh, we talk about reciprocation a lot. You know, I can message you day in and day out, but if it's a monologue or just a one sided um meaning just delivering kind of rote information to you, that's not the same. As developing a relationship or talking with a parent about, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of research about co creating a student's educational path and their journey. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot can be done with parents to um, ensure that communication is ongoing and that you're talking together about those goals and sharing. Um, talking in in terms of the educational content and and what you hope to achieve and where the student is um, in terms of um, the content that's being asked of them to learn in class and just making that parent part of that process. I think it can be very rewarding for both parties. And there's a lot of evidence that shows that it does influence students' literacy and achievement. So those two things together, I think, are Are really
0: critical. Yeah, that's awesome. Of course, you're, you're speaking to, you know, something that I feel deeply about, which is that you're right. It's the quality of communication that surrounds a student that really is important to their um, eventual outcomes. Latoya. So first of all, I've got to ask you, you don't have snow days in, in Jackson, right?
1: Very rarely. I mean, (laughs) listen, we do not. We sometimes wish for, but we do not. We, uh, i think we looked up on maybe two <laughs> but no sir we do not
0: yeah so so the 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 serious question i want to ask you i mean you're you're part of a a, a district um you know program on this you know in order for data to be useful it's got to be part of the culture of the entire you know workforce in in the school district how do you um Because I struggle with this, you know, in my role as well. So, how how do you get people to start taking data seriously? Understanding that even when the data doesn't say that something is going well, that that's important, and and you need to react to it, and have people embrace that um, without them feeling like you know, Big Brother, and everything's being reduced to a number. I mean, that's a really delicate balance, um, especially for people that you would hope are in the profession because of, you know, something that is their calling. Right. And so how do you approach that, you know, in a district like Jackson, you know, so that you get your faculty and your school administrators to buy into it and embrace it for something that's positive rather than something that's, I don't know, more um, uh, surveillance oriented.
1: Well, I I think we've done a, a pretty, a much better job over the last few years with uh just data in general keeping it out front um in everything we do we make sure to support it with data now our principals our teachers even our students are much more comfortable with it and that's because we've uh again we keep it out before them we also provide a lot of training around data Mm-hmm. Um, our teachers, our students, you know, at the beginning of every school year, we require our schools to set academic goals. Uh, we not only are we setting academic goals, we set culture, goals around our culture, making sure that it's thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, our students, we set uh academic goals for our students, our teacher in terms of proficiency. So in everything we do is in our language. Now, can I sit here and say that it was an easy change? I would be really telling you a whole story <laughs> if I say that, because it was not easy, it has not been easy. But I think over the last couple of years, especially last year, when we uh, gone through the pandemic and we saw uh, some unfinished learning from our students, we noticed the importance of that data, using it to drive our instruction. And again, we keep it, and I like to kind of, my husband is a football coach, I like to tell you, it's like the smash-mouth football, so we're kind of ramming it down the throat, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But again, we are doing a lot of follow-up PDs, and Uh I think that is important, because the more comfortable you are with it, and the more you're able to interpret it, analyze it, then you can use it to go forth and that's what we had to do here we had to make our teachers or help our teachers not necessarily make help our administrators all of our stakeholders to be more comfortable with it and know that it's okay you know don't be scared of it i know you may not like math or whatever but it's okay and then here's how you read it and give me some of your thoughts it's a two-way conversation they tell us well, what do you think it's saying? And then what direction should we move? Or, you know, what should we do differently if we want to see a different outcome? So we're doing a lot of training behind that the use of data.
0: Yeah, absolutely imperative. Joy, um, Latoya brought up an interesting point about the pandemic. And, you know, I know from... The, the type of work that I do that when you're analyzing data sets, you're either looking for differences or trends. I mean, it kind of boils itself down to correlations or differences. And how are, how are you as a data data scientist sort of looking at the COVID effect? I mean, you know, in some ways that disrupts trends that you might expect to, you know, be carrying out in a district. Um, you know, it just disrupts things and it's an anomaly. So how, how are you treating that when you're advising districts on looking at their data? What What is the COVID effect? Do you asterisk it? What do you do with it?
2: Oh, man, it, that is a challenging question and something that, um, you know, research is coming out almost daily. I just saw something this week, actually, about um, out of NWEA talking about there's going to be kind of a, a prolonged or a sustained need for us to kind of tackle the disrupted learning and that um, just groups that have been historically marginalized, we know, we know that it's going to be a harder comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the things that uh, I think, you know, some districts have more money right now, just because of because of COVID funding. Mm-hmm. Um, some are still trying to figure out how to use that. Um, one of the things we've noticed is that uh, for those underserved populations, making sure that they have a device um, to to work on um, just that's that's been critical. We've learned uh, the research just bears that out time and time okay. again. Um, to make sure that students have access to technology and not just assuming that, you know, oh, well, it's a household of three kids and two working parents. Therefore, they have um, an iPad or a computer. Like, no, uh, we've got to make sure that they, that they do have devices for each student. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and just, I think... I do think that that idea of a sustained response that, you know, we, we don't yet know the ramifications for um, it might, it might affect um, historically marginalized groups differently, but it also might affect age groups differently. You know, younger students are sometimes more resilient to change um, in their young life. They're used to change. Um, whereas students who might be going through a middle school transition that might be harder for different reasons, coupled with just already the life stage changes.
1: Mm-hmm. So it
2: might impact students differently. And the, the research that has come out kind of suggests that that might be the case. So old solutions might not always work the same way or as quickly. So I think kind of being open minded about what solutions might exist or what data we might need to to look at are are some things that come to mind when you when i think of that question
0: yeah that's really insightful i mean this is super anecdotal but i mean like the point you made about how it affect it could potentially affect different age groups in different ways i can very much relate to you like you know i'm used to dealing with college students and what we're seeing with them um again very anecdotal but you know they're like previous covid like Our message was always about you know get ready for that internship in your junior and your senior year and you know think ahead and that was all of our messaging and our students were sort of socialized to think that starting day one and when covid came about you know people couldn't think that far ahead i mean literally and because you were just trying to sort of survive the next couple of weeks because it was going to change and you had to be able to react to it. And so they were being affected that way. I also had experience working with um, new middle school students last year. And um, academically, um, they seemed pretty normal. Socially, they seemed like they were much more so than even what I had experienced before, really trying to figure out how to relate to one another. You know what I'm saying? And so I I think you're insightful in saying that different ages of students are going to be affected differently by this and we have to pay attention to it. Um, I guess I want to end by um, asking um, you, Joy, and then you, LaToya, from each of your different perspectives. Uh, You both are very knowledgeable about how, how to use data for productive purposes in teaching and learning. Where do you see this going? In other words, you know, think about five years down the road and... How do you think that this increasing use of data by all of us um, and having it more usable for even people in the classroom in a minute-by-minute basis, how's that going to change, do you think, the way that we teach students and the way that students learn, you know, in a few years down the road? Because it's going to it's going to accelerate. It's not going to slow down. So what what's the effect of it going to be? Uh, why don't we start, Joy, with you, and then we'll end with LaToya?
2: That's a really interesting question, and I think it's an important one. And the the thought that immediately comes to mind is a, a heavier conversation surrounding ethics in data, and how it's uh, partic- particularly with prediction. And um, so there's there's a conversation that's happening about around that, but I think that that will become more prominent um, in terms of trying to predict outcomes and then intervene uh, before something or to try to, you know, um, push a particular trajectory for students, whether that's already in college or at the high school level, you know, saying, well, we've looked at data and it suggests that you wouldn't actually be a good fit for this nursing program, for example. Um, That might be something that you can relate to, Scott, in your world, but I've seen that conversation play out a couple of times. And I think that the conversations around that prediction and ethics, that I think will become more prominent. I'm not sure if that's the direction you were thinking, but that's what came to mind.
0: No, I think that, and I I especially like how you framed it from, you know, an ethical standpoint, because you're right. I mean, you know, data gives you insight, but you're still using that insight to do something. And that's an ethical question. Latoya, do you have any thoughts on the future of it?
1: So, I mean, I, I would definitely pick a bit, piggyback off of Joy. It, it's funny she should say that. We met with one of our other partners this, mo- this morning, and our whole conversation was around prediction, um, using it to predict our student outcomes, you know, in terms of their level and just performance. So I see as we begin to to really utilize data even more, we're looking at. You know, is the data saying what we are anticipating and predicting it to say? Um, and just making sure that we're using data correctly, you know, what it's intended for. That's what we are, I'm thinking, as it gets down into the future of it, as it involves, we're, we're looking more at prediction as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I want to thank both of you for um, coming on to the program and giving us your insights on the use of data. I think that, um, you know, if I was giving advice to uh, people going into the profession, whether it be in a K-12 setting or higher education everyone's gonna to have to be proficient with data. And it's, it's, it's warriors like the two of you that you know are helping to set the stage for how it can be done well. And I just wanna thank you for your time and also wish both of you the best of luck with the new academic year.
2: Thank you so much. Yes, thanks for having us, our pleasure
0: absolutely my guest today was dr joy smithson she's the director of the data science research group with school status and also miss latoya blackshear who is the director of planning and evaluation for jackson public schools in jackson mississippi thank you for listening to teaching matters remember that this program is produced by woub public media you can catch us on any of the popular podcasting apps and of course now that we're starting a new season if you have ideas for programs that would be interesting to other educators parents or students feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or drop us an email uh, and we'll talk to you about getting on the show. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth, your host. We hope you have a great day and a great start to the school
1: year. Bye-bye.